reinvention isn't a one-time thing. It's an ongoing thing because people are constantly forming their opinions of you. And so you need to make sure that, that on this ongoing basis, you are putting out into the world the data points so that people, when they see you, when they interact with you, are going to continue getting the right impression. Hello and welcome to The Daily Helping with Dr. Richard Schuster. Food for the brain, knowledge from the experts, tools to win at life. I'm your host, Dr. Richard. Whoever you are, wherever you're from, and whatever you do, this is the show that is going to help you become the best version of yourself. Each episode, you will hear from some of the most amazing, talented, and successful people on the planet who followed their passions and strive to help others. Join our movement to get a million people each day to commit acts of kindness for others. Together, we're going to make the world a better place. Are you ready? Because it's time for your daily helping. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of the Daily Helping Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Richard, and we have an extraordinary guest to share with you today. Dory Clark is a marketing strategy consultant, professional speaker, and frequent contributor to the Harvard Business Review. Recognized as a branding expert by the Associated Press, Fortune, and Inc. Magazine, she is the author of Entrepreneurial You, Reinventing You, and Stand Out which was named the number one leadership book of 2015 by Inc. Magazine and one of the top 10 business books of the year by Forbes. It was also a Washington Post bestseller, and her books have been translated into Russian, Chinese, Arabic, French, Polish, Korean, and Thai. Clark, whom the New York Times describes as an expert in self-reinvention and helping others make changes in their lives, consults and speaks for a diverse range of clients, including Google, the World Bank, Microsoft, Morgan Stanley, the Ford Foundation, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, and Yale University. Her work has been published in the Harvard Business Review Guide to Getting the Right Job and the Harvard Business Review Guide to Networking. She is quoted frequently in the worldwide media, including NPR, the BBC, and MSNBC. She is also a regular commentator on Canada's CTV and was named one of Inc. Magazine's 100 Great Leadership Speakers for your conference. Dory, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. We are we are going to kick it today, Dr. Richard. I love it. I love that. All right, Dory, as you know, I often love to find out about people's whys. And you've been very vocal about your why because you actually post it on your website and you talk about the why you do what you do. So talk to us about your upbringing. I know you said you grew up in a real small town in North Carolina on your website, pre-internet era. So talk to us about that and, and kind of we'll go from there in terms of how that shaped who you are and what you're doing. Sure. Well, I think I think probably a lot of folks can relate in one fashion or another to growing up and, and just feeling like the place that you were in by circumstance was not really the kind of place you would have chosen for yourself. And so this, this little town in, in North Carolina was, 
great as far as my parents were concerned. They moved down there because it was basically a golf resort, but that in a million years is not where I would have chosen to uh, to place myself. And so I, I wanted a place with a little more action, a little more culture. I actually live in New York City now. And so I plotted from being a, a little kid onward to try to see if I could if I could get out of there and go go do something not just necessarily you know wait for my life to happen but go make it happen and so I was able to uh, connive to get into college early and was able to to do that and, and get a little bit of a, a head start on things but that feeling of, of kind of dislocation and wanting to wanting to get out and accomplish something and and also, you know, help other people who feel like they want to make things happen in their lives to get their voices heard is something that still animates me. And I know helping others is something that's so central to who you are and what you do. Is that something that you were just born with or did you have people in your life that really nurtured that and pushed that along for you? Well, I, I feel very lucky because I had, I, you know, I, I had and have a great mom who's very loving and very encouraging. And uh, growing up, we had a, a housekeeper, Anne, who was just great and helped uh, helped raise me as well. So I had lots of wonderful love and care in my life. But yeah, I mean, I, I think you know all the all the studies show right that uh, that we do better, we feel better when we are giving to other people, and so I, I do think it's kind of a natural human phenomenon that uh, that it's it's just a, a nice thing to to see ways that that you can plug in and, and help other people along their path. Most definitely. And that is certainly one of the central tenets of the show. So I love that you brought that up. But not everybody actually takes action on that. I think a lot of people feel it, but not everybody does it. So good on you that that you have dedicated yourself to helping others. So I know that you you schemed and you plotted and you got yourself into college a little bit early and you graduated college. Take Talk us through what happened after college as you your journey started taking shape. Well, after college, I went to grad school. I got a master's degree in theological studies, uh, which was which was exciting. I uh, people often ask if I was intending to be a minister of some sort, and I was not. I was very interested, and I'm very interested in religion, but I was. Um, more interested from an academic perspective. And so I thought I was going to go on and get a doctorate and uh, to have a life in academia because that was something that appealed to me that I was pretty good at and, and had done well in. But that was kind of my first professional roadblock, I guess you could say, because after I finished my master's degree and I applied for doctoral work, I actually didn't get into any of the programs that I had applied to. And I was I was very surprised. I thought I would get it. I, you know, I thought it was a question of which one I would get into, not getting into any of them. So that kind of forced my first recalibration and uh, my first reinvention, I guess you could say. Uh, ultimately, that led me to write my first book, Reinventing You, which is about the process of transitioning, you know, how to do it well uh, into the job or, or career that you want to have. And that's so interesting, the, the language that you use, and I, I loved both, recalibration, the first one that you used, and, and that actually led you to writing that book. So you, you had no clue you were going to write this book, and this book became so successful. Uh, they say that necessity is the mother of all invention. Like, what, you Talk to us about, once you wrote that book, how that shifted things for you and where your career then transitioned to. Yeah, so I, I had had also a bit of 
distance in between having this uh, this this setback and writing the book, you know, with a few adventures in between, it didn't immediately occur to me to write a book. But basically, the short version of what I did is that after I failed to get into these doctoral programs, I uh, I didn't really have another plan. So I, I did some internships just to get a little bit more uh, experience and professional connections. And from that, I was able to to cobble some stuff together. I interned at a state rep's office, and then I interned at a magazine. And uh, ultimately, I got my my first job, which was kind of time limited, but I managed the state rep's uh, re-election campaign. And then ultimately, I got a job as a political reporter at a weekly newspaper. So I figured like, okay, great, I can do journalism, because that's kind of like academia, right? There's a lot of reading, there's a lot of writing, you know, it's maybe a little more social, but, uh, but same flavor. So I felt like that was a pretty good alternative. But what I didn't count on was that the journalism industry was really just starting to collapse then. And you, you can't really see it when you're right in the middle of it. So I did that for a year and then ultimately got laid off and then went to work in politics, but all my campaigns uh, kept losing. And so I, I went to run a nonprofit for a couple of years. And eventually in the course of doing that, I, I realized, oh, you know, running a nonprofit is the same thing pretty much as running a business. And so I thought, well, why don't I run my own business? And it was then in the course of, of thinking about what I wanted my business to be and how to promote it that I got into the idea of writing a book, which ultimately led to reinventing you. But it, it was actually a good thing in that there was enough distance by that point. I sold the contract for the book in 2011 it was published in 2013, but I had been laid off from my journalism job in 2001. So there's a good decade in between for me to be able to get enough perspective to be able to share that effectively with other people and also interview folks. I, I interviewed you know, dozens of people who had made successful professional transitions in order to really extrapolate out the, the best practices that people could follow. I love that. And actually hearing it in context, it makes so much more sense and it's so much richer. But take us through, you know, when somebody picks up the book, whether they are in the middle of a career transition or graduating college, wherever they are in their place, talk to us about how going through reinventing you begins this transformation. Yeah. So as people are are making their transition, I mean, certainly I know that when I was in the thick of reinvention, you know, you, you want it to be exciting, but mostly it feels scary <laughs> because you don't know what you're heading toward most of the time. Or if you do know where you're heading toward, you're just not sure how to get there. And so it feels a little bit like you're stepping into a void. I was hoping to provide people with a little bit more of a roadmap so that they knew what was around the corner and therefore could enjoy the process a little bit more rather than having to dread it because you're never sure when you're going to step on a landmine. And so there were pieces that I, I kind of called out and walked people through. So, I mean, just by way of example, one of the most important points is telling your story. You know, how do you tell your transition narrative? That's something that most people aren't necessarily used to doing. And frankly, most people kind of flub it accordingly. A lot of times people will say, well, I used to do this and now I want to do that. And they'll just sort of leave the story at that. But the problem is there's often a huge gap in between the past and the future. And if you don't connect the dots for people, if you don't make it really explicit how the thing you did in the past 
connects to and adds value to the thing that you're aiming toward, they're going to view it as completely random. It's not, it's not going to make sense to them and they're not going to take the time to make it make sense. You have to guide and shepherd their understanding of your transition. Otherwise, they're not going to do the intellectual heavy lifting on their own and, and you won't get the help that you need from them. I think we exemplified that just as we were talking. You know, the the assumption on my part, and wrongly, that you didn't get into graduate school, or rather you didn't get into your doctoral program after your master's, and then you just wrote a book. When you shared the 10 years of exploration and fails and successes between those points in time, it made much more sense. To me, it was kind of like that aha, and I, I think that's what you were talking about here. Yes, exactly. Fantastic. So once people learn how to tell their transition narrative, what's the next thing that they should do? Well, I think another another piece that is important for people to be aware of, which can be a little surprising in the moment. You know, if you if you call it out, it makes sense. But most people are not anticipating that it will happen to them is to think about the role of family and friends when it comes to reinvention. Most of us have this kind of intuitive sense that, oh, well, you know, they're my family and friends. Of course, they're going to be supporting me. Of course, they're going to have my back. And, you know, I mean, of course, that's true to a certain extent. If you lose your job or, you know, whatever, they're going to be like, yeah, you can do it. You can do it. But what what often happens, especially if you are making a transition that is not so linear, it's not like, oh, I lost my reporting job, so I'm going to get another reporting job. But if you if you say, you know what, I was doing this thing, but now I want to switch over and do this other thing, a lot of the time you are actually going to get blowback of some sort. You are going to get people who think they're doing you a favor by being the devil's advocate or who are discouraging you from proceeding on a certain path. And they they really think that they're being helpful, that they're acting in your best interest. But in the moment, you may well read it as your people be, who are closest to you not being supportive. And that can be extraordinarily demoralizing. And so understanding that dynamic, you know, realizing that in many ways, if you are making a kind of big transition, that strangers are going to be more supportive sometimes than your family who, you know, maybe have a little bit at risk if, uh, if for instance, your venture doesn't financially succeed right away. That's something that we need to be aware of and get comfortable with so that we can understand you can't necessarily assume support. You have to essentially treat them as a stakeholder and make sure that you are persuading them just as you would other people that you are serious about what you or want to do, that it is not a whim, that you have thought about it, that you do have the, the skills and abilities to make that transition. And once you do that, it, it becomes a lot more comfortable. Dory, it's interesting that you share that. I can actually recall a number of conversations with entrepreneurs who have told me that their family were literally the last people to come around. Absolutely. So once you have created your external support system, not that your family necessarily... It, can't be that support system, but they might not always be. What's the next step? Yeah. So, so broadly speaking, there are three steps involved in your professional transition, right? So the, the first one, the initial one, is getting a sense of what your current brand is. Because 
you know, as we think about reinvention, sometimes we assume that it's just about, oh, well, I have to get new skills or I have to maybe, you know, make new contacts or connections. But a big part of reinvention is about your brand. It's about how are you perceived by other people? Are you perceived as being a credible candidate for this position that you're aiming towards? And so branding actually plays a disproportionate role. So step one is understanding what your current brand is. How are you seen. Uh, and this is something that you can evaluate by, you know, talking with friends, having honest conversations, et cetera, but really getting, getting a sense of where you're at. Uh, step two then of course, is understanding your future destination, getting really clear about where you want to be. And specifically, what is the gap between now and the future? Is it that it, it is a skills gap? Is it uh, a perception gap? You know, maybe you are viewed by people as being a really, really good tactician. You know, you're like a details guy. But if you want to have a senior leadership position, you can't really be a details guy. You have to be a big picture guy. And so how do you make that transition? What are the activities that you could be doing? Could you volunteer to lead a committee? Could you take a class in strategy so that you're more conversant with the literature around it? I mean, whatever it is, but it's partly about the skills and it's partly about the perception around the skills. And then the third and final step is uh, what I call living your brand. And that is the piece where just on a day-to-day basis, you are manifesting your new identity. Because sometimes we kind of assume or the discourse around uh, our, our brands as leaders is there's kind of this assumption in some ways that it's like a one and done thing. Like, oh, well, yeah, I reinvented and now now I'm there. And the truth is reinvention isn't a one-time thing. It's an ongoing thing because people are constantly forming their opinions of you. And so you need to make sure that that on this ongoing basis, you are putting out into the world the data points so that people, when they see you, when they interact with you, are going to continue getting the right impression about who you are and what you do. And so really making sure that there's alignment. I love that. And the last two points in particular, clarity and alignment, I think are so critical. Hey guys, Dr. Richard here. For the past seven years, I've been privileged to bring you incredible guests who are changing the world and can help you become the best version of yourself. I'm really excited to share with you a new quiz that I created based on my clinical training that will curate for you a custom list of my top episodes and actionable strategies to help you wherever you are on your journey. All you need to do is go to drrichardschuster.com to take it, and it's 100% free. You'll be taking the next step on the journey to unlocking the power of you, and I can't wait to see where you'll go. Dory, I'm, I'm wondering if you could speak to how the tenants in your book could apply to those who are maybe not in business or starting a business, but maybe in their own personal lives as you know, significant others or parents. Yeah, sure. Well, certainly reinvention is is necessary in all different aspects of your life, right? You might have cultivated a brand uh, in, in one capacity or another that you feel like no longer fits you or it's not the one that you want. So let's pretend that, for instance, in your family relationships, you have built a brand over time as being a hothead, 
you know, that nobody can tell you anything because you'll fly off the handle and you'll get defensive and you'll, you'll get upset and you're kind of a kill the messenger type of person. And, you know, obviously that's, that's detrimental. And so you may be aware of it. You may decide that you want to change that, but you know, it's, it's, it's a little bit of a tricky process, right? How do you change it? And how do you, how do you convince people that you've changed it? Because they're probably a little gun shy, right? If they've, if they've had, you know, whatever, 10 or 20 years of you doing this, they're not going to necessarily believe you the minute you say, oh, I'm different now. So how do you do it? Well, the first, the first step, and uh, Marshall Goldsmith, the executive coach, has a lot of great work on this as well, notably in his book, What Got You Here Won't Get You There. But he talks about the importance, and I agree entirely, of stating your intention. Because if you decide, oh, you know what, I'm going to change. I'm just going to be different from now on. People are so used to seeing you in the old way that even if you actually are changing your behavior, in many ways, they won't even notice because they're so used to thinking of you in this old way. They'll be like, oh, well, it just must have been an anomaly that he didn't fly off the handle. You know, the, the, the kind of guy he is, is that he has a hot temper. They won't realize you're making a shift. And so you need to kind of put your flag in the ground and say, hey, guys, I know this is a problem. I am working to make this change. So, you know, please be aware that I am that I am making a concerted difference. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm changing this. And also recognize you're not going to get it right 100% of the time. And so giving people the space in the room to call you out and say, you know what, I'm making this effort. I know I might screw up sometimes and just fall back into my old behaviors. And so if I do, you have my permission, not just my permission, I am encouraging you to mention it to me. And I promise you that if you do, I am going to react in an appreciative manner rather than an angry manner. And if you can do those two things, to call out the behavior change and to ask for feedback if you are slipping back into your old patterns, that actually makes a a very big difference in terms of both how you behave and how you're perceived by others as behaving. I absolutely love that, Dory. And I, I want to transition in the interest of time and talk about your next book, Stand Out, How to Find Your Breakthrough Idea and Build a Following Around It, which was named as Inc. Magazine's number one leadership book in 2015. So talk to us about what was the inspiration for creating that book and, and take us through a bit of it. Yeah. So I wrote Stand Out because I I wanted to solve a problem. I wanted to understand something. And I figured writing a book would be a great way for me to learn more about it and hopefully in the in the process be able to uh, to share that knowledge with other people as well. But, you know, when I started my business in 2006 doing marketing strategy consulting, I realized almost immediately that, like, I, I just had had no idea before I got into it how crowded the field was. I mean, it just seemed like, oh my gosh, everybody's doing this. Everybody's a consultant. Everybody does marketing. You know, how can I differentiate myself? And I became really fascinated by the people that were the industry leaders, you know, that were, that were widely regarded as thought leaders in their field. And I wanted to understand a couple of things. I mean, first of all, how did they get there, right? Why, why them? You know, not in any sort of you know, bad way, like they didn't deserve it, but like literally why them? Like what, what did they do specifically? What were the steps that they took to get recognized? And how, you know, in most cases, these thought leaders 
we're well known for certain ideas or concepts. You know, you have Seth Godin with permission marketing, or you have Robert Cialdini with his, you know, six laws of persuasion, things like that. How do they come up with those ideas? And uh, so I, I wanted to, to kind of crack the code. And so I took it upon myself to reach out. And as part of this book project, I interviewed about 50 top thought leaders in a variety of different fields. And I really wanted to, to get at those questions, to peel back the exact steps that they took to get to this celebrated place and uh, and see if I could derive some general principles. And so the result of that was a uh, standout, which is broken into two sections. The first one is how do you find your breakthrough idea? And the second is then how do you build it following around that idea? A very high level 30 second overview. How do you find that breakthrough idea? So the basic idea about fi- finding the breakthrough idea most important thing to recognize, many people are held up forever because they assume that they have to just have the idea fully formed that, you know, oh, I'll get the idea and then I can go do the work around it. No, no, no. That is not how it happens. The way it happens is you don't start with the idea. You start with an interest in a subject or in a question and you just start mucking around in it. You start doing interviews or you start writing about it or you start just doing work in the field. And it is through that process and only through that process that you achieve enough in-depth knowledge of that subject that you are able to find the opening of the thing that has not been talked about in the place where you can make a contribution. And then the path becomes clear. Wonderful. And then from there, it's getting yourself recognized and standing out. So how do we do that? So fundamentally, there, there are three steps involved with building a following around an idea I discovered in the course of researching Standout. Um, it is first building your network, next building your audience, and finally building your community. And broadly speaking, what that means is step one, your network is this kind of internal group of advisors, right? I call it your mentor board of directors. These are people who can help you hone and shape your ideas make sure they're good and help you amplify them. So that's, that's step one is getting your kind of inner circle. Step two, building your audience is where you start to share your ideas more publicly. And this is, of course, an essential step because you're never going to build a following around your ideas if people don't know what your ideas are. So you have to get them out there. And there's a lot of ways now to do it. Thankfully, you could write a book, you could blog, you could do a podcast, you could make videos, you could give speeches. And there's a lot of options, but somehow... You need to be sharing your ideas. And then finally, third and finally, is building your community. This is the place, it's kind of the tipping point, where up till now, you know, the the building your audience is about you creating something and then it gets disseminated to other people. So it's kind of a one-way path of transmission. But building your community is what happens when enough people, a critical mass, becomes your audience, and then you are able to start helping them create a forum so that they can talk to each other. Now, it could be in person. Maybe you organize a conference or a meetup. It could be online. Maybe there's a a Facebook group or a LinkedIn group or a listserv or something like that. But you give people ways to connect with each other. And then you are no longer the sole transmitter of that idea. Other people can help transmit it as well. And that is how it can grow exponentially. Beautiful. And I want to transition to your most recent book just so that I can make sure you have the time and the space to talk about it because I know that Inc. Magazine called Entrepreneurial You, one of the most important books 
of 2017. So talk to us about why that is and what the premise of Entrepreneurial U is all about. Yeah, thank you so much. So Entrepreneurial U is a book that I view in many ways as the capstone of my trilogy. <laughs> so if, if Reinventing You is about how do you transition to the job or the career that you want, if Stand Out is about how do you get recognized as an expert in that field, Entrepreneurial You is about how do you make a, a living? How do you make hopefully a great living in that field? And the reason that I thought this was important to do is that it is not a self-evident question. Um, especially in the entrepreneurial world. Um, it's not just like, oh, you know, you land the plum job and it pays a lot of money. The The world of work has really shifted in the past 20 years. And it is now, uh, you know, for better or for worse, fairly common uh, that people could be relatively well-known in their field and yet not be making the money that they really deserve from it. I mean, you think about things like, oh, somebody's on TV all the time. You know what? If you're on TV all the time, you're not getting paid for those appearances. I mean, you know, you are if you're whatever, Anderson Cooper, and you have a job with CNN. But if you are an expert commentator, that's all free. You know, it might be great for your brand, but it's not helping you earn money. You have to, you have to learn about how to earn money. That's a different skill set. And so what I advocate for in Entrepreneurial U is for people to, to really embrace the concept of multiple income streams and a portfolio career, both so that you can hedge against risk in case you know, certain avenues of money dry up, but also so you can harness new opportunities. And so I've actually managed over the past uh, five or six years to cultivate nine different income streams. Um, so I have money coming in in a variety of different ways. And it's been extraordinarily helpful because you know, if sometimes people say, oh, well, wouldn't that be too much work? It's not too much work if all of the income streams are aligned. You know, the, the secret is you're not doing, you know, 10 different things for 10 different audiences. You are doing similar types of things. So for instance, in my case, I am writing books. I am doing executive coaching. I am doing online courses. I'm doing in-person workshops. I'm doing paid masterminds, you know, all those, all those keynote speeches. All these are for similar audiences who can, you know, cross-purchase different things. And so it really creates a flywheel of business. And I want more people to start thinking about that because it can open up a lot of opportunities for more income and for more passive income as well. So for the person who's sitting there listening to this, and maybe they've been in the same job for 20 years, what do you say to that person who's listening to this in terms of how to get there? Because for most people, this could be really scary. Yeah, I, I think that the good news is that actually... You know, once once we look at the at the facts clearly, building out multiple income streams is actually the least scary path because it provides you with the most security. I mean, certainly, I will never forget being 22 years old. You know, having my first job and then getting laid off from it unceremoniously. You know, the whole premise of these of these layoffs is that there's no warning. You know, they don't want you to have warning because they're worried, I don't know, that you'll delete files or something like that. So they never give you warning. It, it literally comes out of the blue. And one day you have a job and a quote unquote secure income. And the next day you have nothing. You have zero income streams. And so for people who are employed and who maybe they love their job, maybe they want to stay employed by that company forever. Awesome. That's great. However, it is a very good idea 
as a, just something to have in your back pocket to start creating a side income stream. And I would just think of this as a nights and weekends project. It could be almost anything. It could be doing a little coaching on the side. It could be, you know, starting an Etsy business. You know, it could be uh, selling things on eBay. Uh, it could be doing some consulting or some speaking. You know, there, there's a lot of possibilities that that you could play with that don't you know necessarily have a lot of time maybe you know for people who are technologically minded maybe they figure out how to create an app there's uh, there's variations but it can be very very powerful in fact in my book entrepreneurial you I tell the story about a guy now well known in the podcasting space named Pat Flynn Pat worked at an architecture firm and he had the misfortune of working in an architecture firm during the 2008 recession and, uh, you know, all of a sudden, all the building projects stopped. Nobody was building anything. And he got laid off. But the one thing that he had going for him was that literally just the previous month, 